And welcome to another episode of Inside the Squad. In this episode, we had Chief Flanley back as a guest, and we spoke about many topics, including just local issues, Catholic converter thefts, next door, social media. We hit it all. It was a good talk, and we hope you enjoy. Glad everybody could make it. Cap's on vacation. Although he told us the other day that he's probably going to start backing out and let Randy take over. Yep. Randy and Ian show. The Randy and Ian show. There's room for everyone. And Patty and Alan. And where's Tom? Tom is at a safety meeting today. Oh. All right. Safety first. And then our special guest, Chief Flanley. How many more of these do you think you have, sir? I got plenty left in me. <laughs> that's such. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Uh, so we have a lot to talk about. Where do you want to start? Let's start with uh, technology. I just made a list of things. So, Patty, you were talking about uh, some information, if you will, that you saw over Nextdoor. Is that how that? Yes, I have a, a personal account on Nextdoor, so I see things that are going on in my neighborhood, as all concerned residents probably should, um, my neighborhood and adjacent neighborhoods. And uh, a couple of them were directed at LPD or about LPD, and it seemed like they they were under the impression that LPD would see these posts and the discussions. And it's a good time to remind people that Nextdoor, by design, is intended for neighbors only and not for agencies. Um, just to take that piece out so people don't feel like they're being censored or watched by any agencies, whether that's police or the city or the county or anything. So, you know, it's it's meant for neighbors to have conversations amongst themselves, which is, um, it's great because a lot of things get resolved that way and people are, they seem to be kind probably because next door has your actual name and neighborhood on it. You can't hide behind your keyboard as well. Uh, but you know, there's there are times when people get on next door and they start ranting and they want satisfaction from the police or from another agency, engineering or code enforcement or something. And as an agency, we don't see those. We don't know about it unless you send a message directly to the agency or you know share it with them in some manner. So it's oftentimes not two way communication with the police department, and that gets lost. And I, I can speak to this uh, personally because I was the one that sat next door up going almost 10 years ago now, or it probably was 10 years ago. And when we looked at this platform originally, we were one of, uh, I think, one of the first 30 police departments in the United States to utilize next door, which is kind of cool to see the growth. And their original business model was actually to be an app that would be shared via Facebook. But when they started to do their research and their market research, when they were going out into neighborhoods and act, talking to homeowners, many homeowners told them that they were not interested 
in getting on a Facebook group with their neighbors and their neighborhoods because they kind of like that, the old Robert Frost saying, good fences make good neighbors, and that people wanted boundaries and they were afraid that it would become too much like social media. So at well, and what it's become today. So by design, they wanted no anonymous users. You had to verify who you were and that you lived in the neighborhood that uh, you were posting from. And it was really by design to connect neighbors to neighbors in neighborhood to give them a way to share information with each other that was relevant and pertinent to them. Crime and safety is just one of the many things that uh, people like to share with each other on next door and so they moved away from the Facebook model and when I was uh, doing the the job that Ian and Randy are doing one of the roles that we have here at the police department is in our community outreach is to try to connect neighborhoods and people and when you're one or now two people or even a, a few more people since we've grown that division over the last 10 years you quickly realize that one person doesn't have enough time in any one day to reach everybody. So we're trying to look for technology solutions that would allow us to connect to our neighborhoods and our citizens in a way that we could share information. So without going into all of that, it the really exciting part about this is when we started this project, we were really hoping that we would get 15% to 20% of our neighbors on next door. We thought that was a really lofty goal. If we could really get to 20%, that would be one in five households that we could connect with, meaning the police department, if we had relative or pertinent information that we wanted to share out with communities, we could send it out a message and we, you know, you know, we, would, we would reach one in five households. And just the other day, we were looking at those numbers and we're now at 39%. We're we're almost there to 40, and so now I think a lofty goal would be 50%. But I think with that, with that growth also comes uh, some growing pains and uh, just for new users that were not around five, six, seven, eight years ago, I think some of these uh, things have been lost, and, and so it's good to have these reminders. And, and uh, Patty just, I think, hit the nail right on the head is – when again in those in that initial market research people didn't want the police to be able to see the conversations that were going on in neighborhoods that was by design so we can send information out but the only way that we'll see it is if people respond to our thread when we send the information out when people are connecting with neighborhoods and neighborhood chats and adjacent neighborhoods we don't see that at the police department so we we really do um need people to call us when they see things that are popping up in their neighborhoods that are that are crime and safety related and that there's something that we as a police department can address and that's why also patty in her role gets to also help direct the uh, information that comes in from other quality of life issues that come that are not necessarily related to to public safety but also that the city might have some influence on and in, in fixing. Right. We don't, it's not that we, this is the most important part. We're not being unresponsive. We just don't know about it. Yeah. Like I sent out a post today 
and you know there is you can communicate with us like chief said you know on our thread but you can also hit us up on direct message you can send us a message on there i would say i wouldn't you know if it's something that's urgent or mm. you know ongoing i wouldn't rely on that platform to contact us please call dispatch or or you know our, our numbers office numbers emails are out there but uh you know, as far as a way of, for us to push information out, it's a great platform. But, uh, you know, and, and like you said, in the neighborhoods. Right. So actually, we have the most users as, as far as if you want to consider that social media on Nextdoor. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it, it really is an amazing tool when you think about it. And we had these discussions years ago, but when I was a little kid, like real little, I lived in a, in a suburb of Philadelphia. And I'm the youngest of eight kids. So we were all over the place. And there were there was no internet back then. You had phones. But you also had neighbors that knew each other. In the entire neighborhood, every, neighbor, people were just less mobile. They were less transient. But times have changed. Uh, and technology has to change with it. So if if kids were maybe up to no good or doing something that was maybe dangerous that some of the neighbors um, saw then when we got home somehow some way our parents seemed to always find out they always seemed to know and that was the old neighborhood network and when next door was doing their their research the, they were looking at pew research they were discovering some some I don't know, from, from my perspective, I guess it made a lot of sense having been in policing for over 20 years. But most neighbors now in most neighborhoods, people are a lot more transient. You don't have people that stay in the same house for a long time. So you have, in many cases, people that live in a neighborhood that cannot name one of their neighbors by name. Not front, back, or either side of them. Not a single one. Uh, and... So that that just goes to show you that if you live in a neighborhood and you don't know your neighbors and you see something that's concerning to you, you either don't say anything or you call the police. So we've seen that trend in our calls for service, and I know we've talked about this before. Uh, we're over 100,000 calls for service at our police department. And you know that leads to around 20,000 police reports, you know, somewhere between you know, seven and 9,000 arrests every year. It, it's those numbers are very, that's a, that's a lot of calls for service. And one of our objectives and one of our goals by connecting neighbors with each other on social media is that it's the digital icebreaker because the Pew research also showed that if I connect with somebody in this social media environment via next door about something that's concerning to me in my neighborhood, then people are, are more likely to engage in that neighbor over the fence conversation. Hey, did you hear about this? Did you see about this? And then that grows. People become more connected in the neighborhood. So the old block mentality begins to build. Nobody knows neighborhoods better than the people that live in them. The police were, you know, were very busy. We're doing a lot of different things. There's a lot of demands that are placed on us. So we can't be everywhere at once. And sometimes when crime is not something that you see frequently or often, 
uh, or more particularly when it comes close to home, people will tend to get uh, nervous and, and they'll want to engage if it doesn't happen very often at all. So when they call the police, sometimes their expectations are that we're, we're going to be able to do maybe more than we can, more than what the law allows, uh, or more than what our resources can provide to us. And, and so it's, it's kind of a balancing act. And I, one, one really interesting piece of data that I think uh, really requires a little contemplation Sometimes we, we, we think that crime is all around us in, the, in today's world because you get on your phone and you see it on eight different threads, uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on social media, on your news sites. You, you see it everywhere. Um, and it's not necessarily true. So the, the sense that crime is everywhere is maybe a little bit... Um, disproportionate to the reality of it but the other but the interesting side of that is that you know in for a city like lafayette 100,000 cad calls that's just the the calls that we actually respond to and generate some type of of report whether it's a written report whether it's a cad note something where we can document uh, for historical purposes what happened have a data point so we can build our data sets to be able to make value-based decisions on how we're going to use our resources. Pew has also shown that approximately 50% of crime in America goes unreported. That's not just Indiana, that's, that's America. So for every uh, person that goes through a car and has their car broken in and reports that to the police, we can assume that there was probably at least two victims, but only one called the police. Maybe it's because people didn't view that as being significant. Oftentimes, one of the things we hear a lot is, well, I didn't want to bother the police. It's really not a big deal. It was just a CD. It was just loose change. It was just something minor. And uh, for us, that's, that's a bit of a missed opportunity because that's another data point for us. If we only get half of the information uh, we only have half of the data to respond to, so it's again, again, it's always going to be a balancing act, and we're and we're always looking for ways to use technology to help us capture more data, so we can make better decisions about what we're going to do with it. And so, Nextdoor is a it's a great tool. It I think it's made tremendous impacts on our neighborhoods. I think it's gotten people talking about things that they might not talk about. Again, I think we see some of those conversations that are probably more oriented or should be oriented towards other social media platforms that sometimes get shared on, on next door. Uh, but you know, when you have a good neighborhood moderator, we can control those things. And, and of course, next door, I think has some pretty good tools too. So when people get in there and say inappropriate things, uh, you can, you can have them moderated out. The, the biggest thing that I see people coming back to each other in their conversations is talk to your neighbors. So if you've got an issue with somebody, I don't know, parking their semi-tractor trailer on the street or whatever, talk to them first if that's an option. Um, people are reminding each other. And, and for, for the most part, Nextdoor does seem to be more friendly and more um, positive 
when somebody sees something that they like, they post it. They're not afraid to post it there, whereas you don't see that as much on other social media channels. Um, you know, you're you're always seeing uplifting. I somebody my my daughter fell off her bike and and lost her glasses, and somebody found them. Or hey, we found a set of keys. If they're yours, private message me to identify. And they're going to reach the audience they're intended for a lot better on Nextdoor. Um, so it's I love that that aspect of it. And you can filter out things about lost dogs and cats, by the way, <laughs> if you don't want to see those. There are there are tools in the software itself. Well, I would say that because Nextdoor is actually, I mean, it's personal. It is. And it's not social media, Instagram, Twitter. It's entertainment. Yeah. Right. I mean, right. it's, it's right. entertainment. You go there to, to keep yourself entertained, mm-hmm. you know, but next door is a resource to keep your neighborhood safe to, you know, it's, it's personal. Like you said, yeah. your name is actually on there, you know, Ian O'Shields, you're on there. People know what you're posting uh, versus Instagram where it's E-dub, right? E-dub. You know, nobody knows like, who's that, you know? And so <clears throat> um, it just changes the game significantly. It does. It does. Um, it turns it into more of a village. You know, you were talking about sir, as far as people uh, knowing their neighborhoods, you know, looking through cases when I'm reading them because the media is requesting or whatever. Just the last couple that I, I read, um, it was interesting to see how much information like neighbors had that maybe they didn't realize that how significant it was, you know. And so, you know, I always tell people we can't do our job to our fullest capability without our community because they know exactly what's going on they know when somebody you know has had their car parked in a certain spot for days upon days or uh some they haven't seen an individual or you know whatever they just saw somebody walk by and so um you know we really do rely on people so you know next door is a great resource um just pay attention at the very least even if you don't want to talk to your neighbors at least keep your eye open right you know and then that way you know, God forbid something does happen. At least you you might have information that could be helpful. So, right. But I caution against paranoia. Well, yeah, there's definitely a line there, right? Sometimes realtors drive around and take pictures of houses. That happens. <laughs> it's not That's, they're not casing the joint. Um, so you know, you just you got to insert some realism in, into there too, and not assume the worst. Um, it, it's fine. And you know, oh, you're saying that to a bunch of cops. I, I am. Mm. And right. You have to, you can't assume the worst either. Hey, I came out of this still optimistic and still looking at the sunny side of life. Right. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, obviously common sense definitely comes into play. That does. But, and, and, uh, and again, that's what next door helps with. And they say, it's okay. That was so-and-so or something like that. On the other hand, you know, there've been reports of, pushy salesmen who don't want to leave your property and uh, somebody did actually contact the sheriff's department found out that they did not have a permit to sell in Lafayette and um, they were asked to leave and so that's a, a, a very good example of neighbors working together saying hey if this guy comes up and rings your doorbell do not engage yeah so you know there you've got next door helping you out your ring cameras helping you out um, it, it's I, I don't want to see the erosion of the village atmosphere aspect. I, I do want people to still talk to each other, um, but if it's not possible or if they're not comfortable with that, then this is a great tool. 
No, I agree. So sign up for next door. Sign up for so next speaking door. of which we have received you were saying some complaints or concerns on next door so well, let's talk about know, that it's an opportunity for education um people first of all don't understand the division of duties and you i mean there is it lafayette is this the county seat so we have county representation here and we have lafayette we have you know state police covers lafayette when they have time they're usually out on the road they're not they're not they have more challenges as far as staffing and and miles to cover Um, but you know the people want to assign blame and they want to say that the city of lafayette needs to take care of the jail better and the staffing at the jail it's like well that's the county jail but people don't remember or don't understand have never known the division of duties another thing is um, code enforcement during the day the engineer's office has code enforcement officers who will respond to reports of tall grass which could lead to vermin rodents uh, issues like that uh, they respond to oh what other code enforcement things do parking they, alan? alan yeah sure parking uh if you're yeah. parking on your lawn that's a no-no and that's to keep the city nice and uh what else can you what can you think of that engineer's office code enforcement does uh, like the derelict properties that right. people don't take care of uh, the trash cans being left on the curb for yeah. a week right uh, backwards cars mm-hmm. cars on blocks Block. yeah people <laughs> running like uh, auto repair out of their home then. right right so essentially they're covering city ordinance yes violations. exactly however they only work days monday through friday and so something that would normally fall to them might fall to LPD outside those hours. And Randy hasn't spoken much, so I'm going to ask Randy to to give us some insight into that. Well, officers are able to enforce city ordinances just like the, uh, the engineer's office, the people that go out and enforce code. Um, we have other obligations and duties that take priority over some of these calls that come in. Um, after hours, we will respond to them. I remember sending guys out to parking complaints. Um, typically, any of those complaints, sometimes we may hold them. If it's like a tall grass complaint and LPD has got other priority calls, we'll send officers to the priority calls. We'll put a call in holding for code enforcement on the next day. So, I mean, I mean, this kind of boils back to that that satisfaction. Um, and what people expect when when you call nine one one or you call the police, you're expecting your issue to be solved. And honestly, that that's not the case all the time. Um, we don't have ever reaching um, abilities to enforce things that, that aren't there. Or you know, like the the next door complaint that had come in, where you know you like you were saying, they were quick to to kind of say, hey, why isn't Lafayette police not doing something. Well, they don't know if we're not doing something. We come out, we take a report. Right. There may be other investigation that's still continuing or ongoing, but we can't just release that information to people or or we don't immediately get back and say, hey, we're still looking into this. These are the steps that we've done. Um, So, I mean, that's what it all kind of boils down to. There's a process. There's a process for everything, and there's a process for the way the police operate. So, And I think... 
sometimes we can't do things. I think people need to understand that. And that's the one thing I know when I go to neighborhood meetings, um, you know, obviously we want first and foremost, I don't want this to sound like excuse because we want this city. I, I have to remind people we live here too, right? We want this city to be as safe and as beautiful as anyone else. So, and, and we don't like showing up and not being able to do something. It's very frustrating, right? It's like, we want to help. Uh, but, I think, uh, and I know people need to know that first and foremost, we deal with crime, right? We deal with, with crime, city ordinances are in there, right? But like, like LT said, it's not necessarily priority when we have X amount of, of staffing and we have to prioritize what we're going to, right? And then obviously use those other resources that may be just as effective or even more effective in dealing with a city ordinance complaint. Um, but it, I will be honest, you know, we, we're we catch-all a lot of times, right? Like, just they're not sure, so they call the police. Um, we want to help, but please understand, sometimes we can't. Sometimes we can't help. And, you know, I guess, honestly, if you're not sure, I always feel I always tell people, if you're not sure, feel free to call for sure. You know, if we can't help, awesome. Uh, but, you know, I guess please just don't jump to the conclusion or the opinion that, oh, well, PD doesn't do anything when maybe we just can't, right? People have rights and, and we have limitations. Right. right? Certain, certain things have to be witnessed in order for you to act on them. Witnessed, right? yeah. Or maybe it's a civil issue and you're on. Yeah, you're maybe it's not even against the law. I mean, right. or maybe it's not against the law. to the people because it's happening to them. Sure. You know what I mean? And that, like Ian was saying, I can recall, I don't know how many times throughout my career where I responded to something and I was frustrated with the outcome. Mm-hmm. I was frustrated for the person because there was nothing that I could do to help them. Right. And, so. and we have a great resource. Sorry, Chief, I know you want to say something real quick. But, you know, if you are <clears throat> questioning just policing in general, law enforcement, what your city police do, I mean, Randy has the Citizens Academy. It's his, oh, yeah. it's his baby now. Right. But, you know, that's a great opportunity to where I truly want people in our community that question what we do or are unsure uh, or already have come to those opinions that, oh, well, we don't do anything to come in so we can we can educate and so we can build those relations because we're, we're trust me, we're on your side. Like we're not against you. We want you to understand what we do. Uh, and we want you to see that sometimes like like LT saying, we are a little frustrated because we can't do we can't help. Uh, and it's not because we don't want to it's just because we can't. And but a lot of times we can't help. Just so it's not all negative, but uh, we have these resources that, to educate folks, and we're more than happy to have those conversations because uh, we want to be able to work together, right? So, well, that's where we come back to technology here, and technology has evolved a lot over the last twenty years, and with emerging technologies that are that are just now coming to market, and quite frankly, things that we've been working on. Uh, with our software providers, tools like this specifically, helping them design tools that help us be more effective and efficient with what we're trying to do. So these discussions that we're having right now, uh, it's oftentimes I think the frustration with the police is that I call the police and report a problem and then I don't hear back or I don't see something that's immediate and 
that 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 would be frustrating for anybody if if you take the initiative you do what we ask you to do and then you don't hear back so you know that that's a message that that we certainly understand is feedback the better feedback that we can provide the more information that comes back to us and that gets back to you so we we do want to create those feedback loops the problem historically has been that the system and the technology that we utilize isn't really built to provide feedback. And so we've been working on that. And uh, hopefully when we roll out uh, our new software, uh, our new CADN RMS software, that's something that people will see, uh, that they'll have uh, more ability, just another way to connect and communicate with us and report things. One of the things that we, I think we talked about this previously, but we were, you know, COVID certainly has been a been a challenging year. It's provide it's 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 provided a lot of challenges uh, and opportunities for us to really evaluate um, how we police, how we collect information, what we respond to, and we've done a lot of evaluation. And we're excited about some of the things that we've learned that will help improve our our services in a post-COVID world. Uh, we just need the technology to kept, catch up with this a little bit, but some of the things that people might have experienced during this period of time was calling the police because they, their vehicle was vandalized or they had some type of crime that occurred at their house, but it didn't involve a crime in progress. There was nobody, nobody's physical safety was in jeopardy and there so that what what lieutenant shearer was talking about when we talk about prioritizing if, if somebody's experiencing a medical emergency like a heart attack or we have a a call of a shots fired or a robbery in progress then certainly the grass that's too long is is going to move down in our list of priorities it doesn't move off our list it just moves down and so we're constantly evaluating as calls come in and what what we've been able to learn and some of the things we've been able to use with axon is a product that they have it's called axon citizen where officers would make a cell phone call because we were trying to minimize our contact with with citizens in the community so we would not be part of the spread of covid i think sometimes you know during covid we never stopped right our operations never slowed. There's no such thing as, as the police working from home. And I think everybody went through a period of adjustment. Uh, I think at LPD, we were, we were way ahead of the curve in some of the precautions that we started to take. We started to take some of the mask wearing precautions and, and some of the social distancing things. Uh, uh, we took some of those precautions very early and that led to us making you know, do an evaluation on what calls for service we were actually going to show up on a doorstep because if you get a, an officer exposed to COVID, uh, we were worried about how that was going to affect the shift and how our ability to respond. Um, and then also because we're going house to house, call to call, we don't we don't want to be the carrier of it. So Axon Citizen provided us a way for an officer to make a phone call to do a, take a report over the phone. If we needed a photograph or we had evidence that we needed to collect that could be collected, uh, collected digitally, we could send a link to the person, they could send that in, and we were able to process cases that way. And so it was, 
It was a very productive way for us to get information back to us. And quite frankly, we were able to provide better feedback to people that were were calling in and we were talking to. And so the feedback that we got was, we like this. And so uh, we made note of that. And that's something that we're going to be building on uh, this year and next year and improving those services that way. That's wonderful. And and it's a good segue to remind people that the city of Lafayette does have an action center um, that you can get feedback. If you log in or create a login when you report your problem, and of course this isn't for emergency problems, but it's for, you know, potholes or long grass or code enforcement, things of that nature. Um, On our action center, you can report that. If you create a login, you will get emails with um, progress on it or, or when there is a resolution, you'll be notified of that as well. So that's a great tool out there. And that's kind of what I understand Axon is building for you. It's something like that, but for police specific items. So, um, you know, we already have some of that functionality on the civil side. So now we just need to get it right down to the phone, make it super easy yeah, uh, and convenient because what Ian and I think what we've been alluding to here is that it's one of my favorite adages is that you know we're in the information business that we we are the more information that comes to us the more effective we can be and every every investigation is I, I use the analogy of of we're climbing a ladder if if it's a big investigation we might have a we might have the fire truck, uh, what they call that, the ladder truck, that thing can go up five stories, might take us a while to get there. But if we get really good information early on, uh, we can ride that ladder to the top. We can take the bucket truck right to the top. But if we're going rung by rung, right, it's a grind, and it's just going to take time. And that's some, some of our more in-depth investigations where we don't have good information, that's, that's what we're doing. And... Uh, the sooner we can get better information, the sooner things become more actionable. We can begin to put those pieces of the puzzle together. We can get that clearer picture, and then we can take action. Uh, without, without the right information, though, there's just sometimes there's just not much we can do. And like, uh, like Lieutenant Shear was saying, that's frustrating. It's frustrating to us, and we know it's frustrating to uh, citizens, but um, we're, we feel really good about the, our our ability to solve crime here especially with good information and that's why next door and these tools are so important because they they create great feedback loops and that's probably why historically our our solve rates uh, for crimes run anywhere from 20 to 40 percent above national averages so that's I think something that you know we've been proud of as a police department and our community should be proud of because we don't do that just by ourselves. That's because we get good information that comes back in. Speaking of frustration and good information, I just, like I was telling you, I pushed out that next door about the catalytic converters. If you see anybody lingering around at night, it seems like most of those thefts are, are happening at night. Call us. Call us if you see suspicious person, right? Um under the car obviously that's a little strange to me so i I would hope you would call if you saw see somebody underneath the car uh if you hear noises at night uh because it seems like they're sawing them off is that fair to say i know that i think that maybe that's probably what we should touch on 
what the catalytic converter yeah is. why don't you give us an overview for, yeah. for nothing else well so we i'm can not archive. a mechanic so i can't tell you exactly I'm gonna go to our go-to then alan he knows a little bit about everything i think do you alan he's like you got a smile on his face he's like <laughs> i, I got where this. it's at on the <laughs> car i'm pretty sure alan knows how to what it turn does. An, a catalytic converter into a home brewery or something oh you could yeah <laughs> it is it is probably stainless um there's usually two or three uh, on a car there'll be a, a pre-cat and a final cat and it's designed to take those unburnt hydrocarbons and convert them into less ozone depleting chemicals so it'll take your gasoline and make it carbon dioxide instead of straight gas so why are people stealing these there is a honeycomb matrix inside that they use precious metals to do the catalytic reaction. Man. So you can take. He does know. <laughs> you can That's in the video we pushed. That was totally in the video we pushed. <laughs> oh, it is? Look at this. I'm so impressed right now. <laughs> like some kind of an okay. engineer. He's Quiz. like a life What engineer. are the three metals? Platinum, palladium. Um. I don't know, silver. Platinum, palladium is rust something. Rubidium? I believe so. Okay. It was the three. Man, I'm, I'm still impressed. <laughs> I am too. Do I'm totally impressed. Bad. You see, look at his ring. That's an engineering thing. The little one. Really? Yep. So, yeah, because, and then the reason that they those metals are highly seeked right now is because we're in a shortage. Is there a vibranium in it? Now we got to Google it. I don't know. So, anyways, there's a shortage of these of these metals, right? Or they're just more valuable than they've ever been. Just like gold's gone up, silver's gone up. But it's not so much up. that the, the what we saw was that <clears throat> they want those metals to essentially make new converters. It's not. I mean, they're not going to making like rings with it and whatnot. But they're using that metal. To make to make new ones, new ones, just like your aluminum cans or your car batteries, it's they all have a value. That was interesting in the video that we pushed out. Uh, the the guy talked about how in the past, like remember, was it the club that they put on steering wheels? Like they have all these things. Uh, your gas tank, they they put to protect uh, a, a gas tanks, lock on yeah. the gas tank. So like through time, you know, thieves have stolen these things, and then you know, engineers come up with ideas to make it so they can't steal them, and then it's just like the next thing. I thought that was pretty interesting. I didn't really think about that. Well, it's a national problem right now. It's not just happening here. It's happening all over the country. Correct. So NPR has done national stories on it. Um, WGN was just talking about it. WGN Radio was just talking about it the other day. Um, but that goes back to some of the things that you know, I, I've talked to people here in town that have asked me specifically about that. That if they've experienced that, but they also had not reported it to us. And while, again, a great example that unless we have um, some good eyewitness or some video, which we oftentimes do, people sometimes, you know, there's video everywhere now. So when we get these good data points, we can go backwards and, and try to look for uh, suspect information. But certainly this is a great example where we would, we really would ask the public if you know who's stealing catalytic converters to phone in a tip and let us know if you know where people are taking catalytic converters uh, to scrap it let us know 
because it's illegal for people to accept and, and process items that, that they suspect are stolen. So um, there is not vibranium in it, though. It's that, rhodium. That's from Wakanda. <laughs> you having children that didn't catch my comment. Uh, it's rhodium. I knew it was something with an R. Oren's going to be very disappointed. I know he is. Wakanda. Uh, yeah, so you can bring up a good point. You know, they they got to take these somewhere, and it's going to be very obvious that they've been cut off. And so, you know, if you show up or this individual or individuals show up with all these catalytic converters and selling them, it's more than likely the person that's purchasing them knows that they're they've been stolen uh, merely because they've been well, for one they've been cut off too because there's probably multiple of them. So, well, you know, if, it also brings so this is a good discussion point. This is a great podcast discussion. So, why do people steal catalytic converters? Money, money, and in this one of the things that I've been hearing a lot about uh, on especially in 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 big media discussions is about some of the rise in crime around the country and how it's related to COVID. Um, every year, so one of the things that we're hearing right now is the big rise in crime for, for the summer months. Uh, and then when we move into the fall, we'll hear about the big rise in crime coming up before the holidays. And so there's this, it's kind of like an old wives tale that before the holidays, crime goes up because people need money to buy gifts. It's false. It's not true. Uh, people need money to get what they want. And there, there, while there does tend to be seasonality connected to certain types of crime, that's oftentimes just because it's situational and it's weather-related, uh, not necessarily a needs-related issue. So people that are inclined to steal are going to steal, and when they have opportunity to do it, they will. Um, it's disappointing, but that's society. That's what happens. So they're going to continue to do that until someone acts against them or we have enough information to gather where we can collect and put a case together where we can arrest them. So, you know, people don't steal because of COVID. Uh, people steal because they're inclined to steal. And yeah, so as far as the converters, they're going to COVID is just a a factor in why they are now stealing catalytic converters, right? Is that I would no, say you, I don't I, you can say that no. Well, and I the just, fact that they they're, they're claiming that the the metals within those converters are a high value, which makes the converter a high value. So it's like ooh, because supposedly, or again, I I don't know. You, you got the same research as I did. But what I'm saying is, is if it wasn't that, it would be something else. Yes, it would. That be. that that co. It's not because Ever. of COVID. COVID is just a factor of why they're stealing when that cop, particular when the thing. Prices of copper went through the roof. Um, if you guys remember, just a few years ago, one of the biggest issues that we had was in new construction sites. Air conditioners. Uh, people were going into new construction, stripping all the uh, copper mm -hmm. metal out of that. They were stealing air conditioning units to pull the copper out, and uh, as soon as you know, the, that trend got big enough where it, where it got on everybody's radar, then we were able to take proactive steps to, to stop that. And again, technology moved in a direction. Manufacturers learned, hey, this is a problem. Home builders learned this is a problem. So we, we find ways to 
use crime prevention strategies uh, through environmental design and other things uh, to prevent that. So that's, again, that's my plug for, uh, for Ian and Randy here, is that that's one of the things that we do in our community outreach and crime prevention division is it's not just uh, go out and tell people what's happening, but it's also providing really good information and strategies to help harden targets and make things more difficult for criminals. And when you do that, uh, that you know, making some making a crime more difficult creates exposure. So if we can w uh, raise community awareness about the problem of catalytic converter thefts. And we can tell people if you see somebody crawling under a car, it's they're especially at, during hours of darkness or in odd areas. It's they're probably not changing the oil, especially if they're carrying a sawzall with them, um, <laughs> you know, or some type of instrument that they're going to use to cut. And so when you see those things, uh, take pictures, grab license plates, do so in a safe way. Don't do anything that's going to expose you personally, uh, and and call the police mm. and. Uh, the more, if we don't catch them that time, we might catch them the next time. But if you don't call us, that's a that's a missed opportunity for us. It's a missed data point, and uh, we've got a lot of a lot of strategies that we can employ in terms of of, of providing you know, patrols and different plans to catch these types of of thieves when they're when they're in operation. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, we as the police truly rely on the citizens. I mean, we need their help when, when situations like this are happening within the community. And that's a great thing about Nextdoor. Nextdoor empowers people to talk, empowers people to communicate with each other and communicate with the police. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's what policing is, right? Working with the community that, you, you, that you're serving to solve problems and crimes. So I think another good segue for how social media can help, you know, when we very early on in our process with next door we had a uh, we had an autistic child went missing and through the training that we go through annually on how to respond to uh, missing and abducted children or people that are silver alert training autism training uh, we know that those children uh, specifically tend to gravitate towards bodies of water so it, those calls become very high priorities for us meaning that we're going to send as many people to them right away as, as we possibly have available so we can end it quickly, um, hopefully for best outcomes. But we shared, we got the information, officer made the scene for uh, this case in particular that I'm thinking about is on the south end of town. The officer took a picture of our missing child. He shared that with our shift. We put a post out on next door. A, a woman was in her car, saw the post um, because someone from next door had shared it to Facebook. She saw it on Facebook, saw the picture, and then saw the child. She was stopped at a railroad crossing uh, thank on you. South 9th Street. She was not driving. <laughs> I was going to jump all over that. At Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to come to that. And that literally all occurred with, when the, from that message went out, it was within two minutes a citizen called us to report the, the location. And in that case, the child was walking along railroad tracks, which can be very dangerous. So we were able to get patrolmen there and, and find them, and, and that's, that's a great outcome. So it's, that's a perfect example of how social media can be very beneficial in, in helping us uh, solve crimes. 
and rescue people. Yeah, there's speechless. There's, I know. Yeah, I am speechless. I just social media has great, you know, advantages and opportunities, and uh, but kind of like you were saying, there's also um, times where it's like. There, there's there's it, time to educate. Yeah, we'll promote pro. Yeah, right, so what's right. the old saying? You know, a lie can travel around the world faster than uh, the truth can get its pants on. So, yeah, um, I want you. That, that's the problem with social media as well, because there's a lot of misinformation that gets shared, um, a lot of rumor, innuendo, uh, and just boldface lies that people post on social media that get shared. So, also be careful about your sources and. Oh, absolutely. Trust but verify. Yes. I I want to see after you retire a coffee book of quotes. <laughs> Patrick Planley's That's not my quote. That's favorite favorite quotes. His favorite quotes. I would love to talk about because it's mid June now. Let's talk about fireworks. I know we come around to it every year and it's a hot topic op. So we got we have to address it. We need to it you know, it's a great time to remind people what's allowed, what to do when something uh, I don't know, when your neighbors are shooting off fireworks and with that are not within the p- permitted window and what can the police do about it? Well, Randy, go ahead and start yeah. talking about it. I'm Come actually on. looking up the exact ordinance that way. I don't want to share it. it in our show notes. We can share it in the show notes. We can do that too. Well, we can talk about it. Yeah. No, if people, what's up? this is a, a, a good topic because every year, mm-hmm. so I, you know, I just came from patrol. Um, and every year, I mean, this is always something that, that pops up and it's, it's hot on our radar and there's always, you know, as a, a patrol officer, those are one of those calls that just kind of gets stacked in there, especially when we're busy dealing with other calls. So, that that goes back to that satisfaction piece uh, we don't forget about it but sometimes we can't respond to it right away and then some and then a lot of the times when we do respond it's already done or over so right so is this one of those that has to be witnessed in order for you to take any action yeah i mean well we have to be able to see the person that's doing it right what yeah we we can't just you can't just go to the neighborhood and make everything all the fireworks stop no i wish that was possible (laughs) i wish that was possible but no that's definitely not true um but i know at like our division last year ian you can speak to this what what did we do as far as uh kind of helping combat the issue assigning people was signing what? I'm sorry. Assigning people to come out and actually, this is what they were doing, patrolling around. I think uh, SRO Roberts and John. Townsend we we sent people out to yeah to try to educate, mm-hmm. right? And, and we and we give people an opportunity, right? It's, it's people have fun with it. We're not just trying to you know we don't make money off of writing tickets and whatnot. So we go out, educate. Hey, you know, knock that off. Give them an opportunity to to stop. Uh, shooting off fireworks but the know. biggest complaint is usually that the those festivities extend beyond yes. what right. city ordinance permits we do have there are, we do have periods of time on the holidays specifically and the days leading up and post holiday that it is permitted by city <laughs> ordinance so we can share the ordinance so people can right. jump on the city website and look or they can uh, look in the show notes to get that but the, I think the frustration for citizens becomes when it starts to, to extend 
for days and weeks beyond those holidays and where those things are actually permitted. And this comes back to, again, uh, you know, I think when we have good connections in neighbors and neighborhoods, when people know their neighbors uh, and they have relationships, if there is a complaint about it, then uh, a simple, if when you have a good relationship, you can, you can walk over and you can say, hey, look, I work at 5 a.m. Could you please, you know, yeah. stop? Uh, stop with the the fireworks at at one in the morning it it makes my dog bark those those are the things that sometimes people don't think about they think in terms of what what their own personal schedule is and maybe they don't necessarily respect the 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 rights of their neighbors as well and the privacy so again being a good neighbor is also following these these rules and these ordinances and then having open lines of communication well you know maybe you know, we've we've had some areas where you have like a block, like the whole court, and everybody, the whole neighborhood gets together at the end of the court on the Fourth of July, and they're all in agreement, and mm -hmm. that that tends to uh, not generate complaints because everybody's communicated with each other, they've talked to everyone beforehand, and they've you know, so there there is good that comes from these things, but they and then again, you know, there is also you know any you know. Anything it's, it's, done in moderation is good. Anything right. It's a good time that. to remind people to be kinder and kinder and gentler because, you know, the ordinance is in place for a number of reasons. So their safety is the first thing because, you know, sometimes uh, if we haven't had rain in a while, then fireworks can start fires. Um, you've got... Uh, Which happens every year. Right. You have a lot of people with PTSD who, if they hear unexpected loud noises, that will... Um, alter their their mental well-being you have high-strung pets and you know that that's a thing if 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 people know when to expect it and what it's going to be like that's so helpful and last year because the city because of the pandemic the city was not able to have a community fireworks show and what we saw was neighborhoods coming together and doing their own thing and that was really a neat thing to see. I mean, there were pockets of people that came together that didn't know each other and they had, you know, cookouts, barbecues, and then fireworks in the evening. And it was, that was probably one of the best things that came out of the pandemic. Yeah. So I guess to keep it simple, you can, you can shoot off fireworks five days before and five days after the 4th of July. Oh, uh, what did I say? Yeah. Ju so June 29th to July 9th. So five days before, five days after. And what are those hours? It's 5 to 10 p.m. PM. Well, I'm sorry. It's from 5 to 2 hours after sunset yeah. on all those days. And then you can go till midnight on the 4th. Okay. So, right. I mean, so you're that's quite a long time. To, you're getting close to midnight. Right. In, and, you know, on the 4th. my mom always told me nothing ever good happens after midnight. So you ought to be <laughs> home anyway. Uh, <laughs> City is doing fireworks show this year. A lot so, of coaches certainly. that say the same thing. <laughs> so just so people are aware, I know that uh, they're working, That's working right. hard Stars on that. Stars and Stripes is back. Stars and Stripes is back. So uh -huh. um, maybe you can save save your money and go and watch the city's firework display, right? Right. Because fireworks are expensive. They're very I, expensive. I find it really I, fun. They fun. are, but I just think that it's literally burning your money. And so I'm that dad that's like, yeah, I'll buy you those little things you throw on the ground. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? They're like sure. little, little snap pop things. Mm -hmm. My boys love it. We're done. <laughs> I 
I just, I just can't bring myself to spend a lot of money on fireworks. But hey, speaking of that being dad, let's caution parents on allowing their young children to be out alone setting off fireworks because there are every year um, injuries that go along with fireworks, and we're talking significant injury. So the things that shoot up in the air and explode or the things that go boom real loud, those are probably not things that you should be allowing your child to go out and set off on their own. Yeah. So Mortars. Yeah. That stuff's very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Very dangerous. Did you have that on, on shift? No, I didn't have it on shift, but I, that was actually on a personal note. Uh, some uh, people I know, their, their child was injured, and then another person I know, it was an adult, and he ended up losing his hand. Oh, so, oh goodness. Yeah. Well, you know, you can make anything dangerous. Boxes yeah. of sparklers yeah. can be dangerous. And I'm not going to tell you how because I don't want anybody to try it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll learn from your mistake. Not mine. <laughs> not mine. I have it on video, though. I think we hit all of our points today. I think we did a great job hitting our points. Well, I, I want to let's add one more uh, little anecdote here, and I think we'll probably talk about this more in the future. But on a on a really positive note, one of the things that I, I really wanted to talk about today was just commending our police department for uh, saving the life of a of a child who uh, unfortunately was. Uh, abducted by a person in her neighborhood and I think everyone around here has probably seen that story uh, and heard about it and one thing that I, I you know that I'm very proud of is that the training that we do we do it annually and the priority that our agency makes when it comes to uh, children that have been reported missing very fortunately, right? So you're talking nationwide, um, depending on the year, you're looking at two to 300,000 cases of, of reports of missing children. And most of those cases uh, resolve themselves in, a, in short order uh, without, without much risk. Um, typically, child got off at the wrong school bus or they went to a friend's house and didn't tell mom or maybe they're upset and they they run away and they don't tell their parents where they are those are a predominant number of the cases but then you do have some more significant issues where you know home life's difficult certain things are going on you know troubled youth uh, run away and get themselves into uh, precarious situations Uh, uh, those can have tragic consequences but the 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 old adage of the stranger danger the the person you see it with the top hat and trench co- trench coat that they are the ones that that create the most significant amount of risk you know that's it's it's not necessarily true um, the you know sometimes sometimes it's it's people that do live close to us um, or people that are close to us that present the the biggest risk to us. But we have protocols in place for how we're going to respond to these things, and we train on it every single year. Anytime we have a, a report of a child that goes missing, particularly if they're 13 years of age or younger, that goes right to that priority, to the top of the priority list that we were talking about earlier, why, why and how we prioritize things. Uh, so in our city, if unless someone's getting shot, stabbed, or beaten, you know, outside of that, 
if we have a child that goes missing, all of our resources go to that call and we immediately start our investigation. And without really going into all the details, uh, the, the data that we got from, and then we get in our training from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children tells us that that first hour is critical. So that's why we get all of our resources there. So oftentimes people have seen a lot of old television shows or they've heard these adages that, well, you know, call us back if they're not home in 24 hours, then we'll start an investigation. I think that that's kind of a, a, a myth and a rumor that gets perpetuated. Um, that's, that's not how we operate. That's not how we do things. Uh, we, we put all of our resources on the front end. We front load those cases, get as much information as we can as quickly as we can. And uh, because of good policy and good training, we were able to resolve that case uh, very quickly. This was one of those very, very rare cases, less than 50 a year of these types of actual cases occur in the United States. Unfortunately, uh, we had one occur this year, but because we were prepared and we trained well and we responded the right way, we were able to, to resolve that uh, in a positive way. And uh, so I'm just, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about it in the future, but just really proud of, of our patrol officers, our detectives and our command, our commanders that, that work the street day in and day out that understand um, what our priorities are and, and, you know, our most precious resource, our children. Uh, we ended that one um, as well as it could have been ended. And so I just want our community to know that that's, that's our priority. Sometimes we, uh, we're, not, we're not perfect. We do make mistakes from time to time, but we're pretty darn good. And I'm very, very proud. So I'm going to leave it at that. And we're out. This has been Inside the Squad, a podcast from the Lafayette Police Department in Lafayette, Indiana. Inside the Squad is a community outreach podcast and is hosted by Sergeant Ian O'Shields, Lieutenant Randy Shearer, and Captain Brian Phillips of the Crime Prevention Unit within the department. You can email us show ideas or questions at podcast at lafayette.in.gov. Please join us on Instagram, Twitter, Nixle, and Nextdoor. Until next time, thanks for listening.